I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Welcome to Go and Do. This lesson is for Mosiah chapters 1 through 3. We will be talking about King Benjamin, which is really awesome. He gives a couple of really good speeches here in this lesson. Um, we'll be talking about how to prepare to receive revelation, what it means to serve others. Also, uh, a lot about the natural man, the famous scripture from chapter 3, verse 19. So, I'm Daniel. I'm Feely. And I am Doug Jensen. Yes, we're joined by by Doug Jensen, which is, feels weird because he's my dad. So it feels weird to call him by his name like that, but um, he'll be helping us navigate chapters one through three. So, King Benjamin, and this is the first time that we hear directly from him, right? I mean, I think at the very end of... Words of Mormon, they just meant, and he mentions him, that he received the plates, but that's all. He was... Uh, a, a really impactful king, and it was mostly the fact that he involved himself directly with the people. It wasn't that he was so powerful or, um, you know, ruled with an iron fist that he just compelled everyone to do what was right. I think it was really just by his example and by his willingness to be directly involved with everyone that it was they were they were willing to follow without really needing much compulsion uh, they had the desire to do whatever was best for the the kingdom because he was involved there with them and he even says you know i i say these things because i've been there with you i toiled with you you know and i think that that's really what you look for in in leadership is someone who not only can stand and speak with authority the way he's doing in these chapters when he needs to Say, all right, everyone, sit down and listen. I got to speak. But can also say, I'm going to go down and in the muck and rake with you. You know, I'm going to get down in there and, and push the cart. I'm going to go down there and <laughs> move whatever stones or whatever because it's for the betterment of the kingdom. And that's what I'm about. To me, it reminds me a lot of, of, of Jesus Christ and the, the atonement. A lot of scriptures that mention that Christ came down so he could learn how to succor his people, so he could descend below everything, so we could be lifted up and so on. And you look at King Benjamin, and he is a Christ-like leader, you know, who is not just saying, do what I tell you, but follow. It's, it's more like leading by example, you know, and that's, that's how the Savior leads. By example, right. I was going to say that uh, other than looking at the Savior Himself and His uh, leadership style, I guess I feel saying those terms <laughs> to Him. But uh, but I don't know. For my money, King Benjamin's these first chapters of Mosiah, especially like chapter two, but uh, it's a it's a handbook, right? It's it's if you just do what this guy does. Or what I did, um, what Benjamin did, that's the consummate leader. I've always felt like when you're in a leadership position, you should never ask anyone to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. 
right? And a lot of times you do have to delegate things and people will go off and do whatever you ask them to do. But, but he was the embodiment of that, right? He was the embodiment of, hey, you know, I've been out there with you, like Philly says, right? I've been right there beside you, working with you. I haven't demanded of you. I haven't sat back, even though I am the king. Everybody knows I'm the king. Uh, I haven't just sat back and demanded your, you know, your obedience and your submission to me. Well, and I think as a as a leader, you can have really, really high expectations and really demand a lot out of your people if you show them that you hold yourself to those same expectations and that same standard. You know, if you're if you're sitting back and you're being lazy and you're like, no, you guys need to do better. They're going to look at you like, who the heck are you? You know, you don't have any street cred. You don't have any ability to go and say, I know what you're dealing with. I know what your life is like. I know what your work is like if you never interact with them. And if you're, if you're able to sit and say, we're, we're doing this. And I know that I may not be there all day, every day with you, but we're all in this same group together. And everything that we're all doing is for the betterment of everyone. Yeah, Mosiah chapter one is a special chapter for me because it was one of the first times I remember receiving an answer to my prayers while reading the scriptures and it happened on my mission. And I remember we had an investigator and they had a really big problem. They loved the, the beginning of the Book of Mormon, but when they got to Nephi chopping Laban's head off, they had a really big problem with it, a really, really big problem. And I remember reading, and it was in First Mosiah, uh, Mosiah chapter 1, verse 3, 3, 4, 5, where he, they explain the blessing that it was for them to have the brass plates. And this is people later on saying, this is a Nephi and his immediate family saying, justifying our actions. These were their descendants later on looking back and saying, in verse 3, when he says, And I taught them concerning the records which were engraven upon the brass plates, saying, My sons, I would that ye should remember that they were, that were it not for these plates which contain these records, these commandments, we must have suffered in ignorance, even at the present time, not knowing the mysteries of God. And then it talks about how it wouldn't have been possible just for Lehi to remember these things, to be able to pass them to their children, to to preserve their language and all of these things. And when they read about King Benjamin and the following discourses he gives, you feel so much love and kindness and, and power from the Savior. And King Benjamin starts out saying, none of this, none of our teachings would have been possible if we wouldn't have had these brass plates with us. And uh, and I that's always stuck out in my mind because when I when I read this on my mission, it was just that correlation between this and Nephi having to do that one hard thing. Absolutely. That you know, it just kind of linked all of that together. Yeah, I like how um, how he he has great clarity in the context, right of what we're doing and so he's he's talking to his sons in that part right in, in chapter one and we should remember or you should remember to search them diligently these words search them diligently that ye may profit thereby right because otherwise we will suffer in ignorance and then he mentions a couple of times the the mysteries of god right and a couple of those verses that you just read Philly. um he mentions the mysteries of god which you know, I always, I always think about that. And what, are, what are the mysteries of God? But it's the things that you know if you follow the Savior, if you read the Word of God. Those are the mysteries that you know. That if you don't do that, well, then you, they are mysteries to you. They're mysteries literally in that sense of things that are unknown, things that are un, you know misunderstood or, or not understood at all or totally foreign to you. And contrasting that with, uh, it's in verse 6 where he says... Um, where he says what's happening with the Lamanites who know nothing concerning these things or do not even believe them when they are taught them because of the traditions of their fathers, which are not correct. So you have those two contrasting. And we know that, you know, that as the two peoples developed, that, that that's what happens. But 
but there he says it right there. You know, if you don't have these words, if you don't have these uh, teachings, if you don't search them diligently, you can profit thereby. You're going to follow some kind of tradition that's going to take you in the wrong direction. Well, and that's just natural, you know, for it to be whatever we can invent to try to understand. Think about science, you know. At one point, we didn't know that the Earth revolved around the sun, and we didn't understand why the sun would come up and then set, and people formed all kinds of beliefs about there's a sun god and a chariot riding across the sky, and, you know, it was their, their attempt at explaining something that they couldn't understand. And it seems kind of silly or foolish sometimes now to look back and say, well, you know, they thought that all of our health was based on four different humors, right? <laughs> and that uh, they just had to adjust our l fluid levels and of blood or whatever to make us feel better. But th they did the best they could with what they had. And a lot of times I think if we don't have the gospel, we're doing the best we can to understand the mysteries of God. And we're trying to explain, and there's a lot of truth out there is that people have kind of deduced by, you know, living life and saying, well, I, I think what works is to just be kind to one another. You know, that, that's kind of a no brainer. But when you start reading the scriptures and you start seeing some of the depth of knowledge that there is available to you, and that you don't have to try and deduce things that there's a lot of it's pretty well spelled out for you, right? That Christ did this and Christ did that. And this is why, and this is what the outcomes will be if we're obedient. It, it makes it so that we don't have to guess so much or invent understandings. Well, I think there's a false um, notion that mystery means complexity Right. Or something hidden, something purposely trying to deceive you. I'm gonna, you're gonna have to work with. And I think mystery, in my opinion, means if you don't do the simple things, you will either look beyond the mark or not look at all. Um, and and that the gospel, the the principles of the gospel, are easy to understand. The Lord teaches to everyone's understanding. We've learned that you'll be judged according to the knowledge you have and the desires of your heart. And those who have no law given, that the Savior will take care of that. And so I think I think a lot of times we we overcomplicate it. And that's the you know, the first part of this lesson is titled Receiving the Word of God Requires Preparation. You know, yeah. and and to understand the mysteries of God is not always um you know hey get your t9 calculator out and some graph paper and here we're going to dive into this <laughs> it's more um wash your hands pay attention humble your heart and decide if you really want to know and then you know you you will receive you know well it's interesting because in verse 9 of chapter 2 he kind of tells us how we can prepare to receive revelation and he mentions, open your ears and your heart and your mind. And that just goes to show that it's not just hearing it that's enough. It's not just believing it, but not listening. It's not just thinking about it, but not listening, right? It's all three of those. Like you really have to, if you want revelation, listen to the prophet, listen to the gospel, read the scriptures, open your mind. And then be w willing to to believe. There's a lot of people who listen to it and they think about it, but they never get to that step where they're going to say, I'm going to choose to believe this. Sometimes it starts out that way. Sometimes you don't know and you do not receive a testimony just from reading it and thinking about it and praying about it. Sometimes you have to say, you know what? I'm going to test it. I'm just going to choose to believe this and act and see what happens, you know? And then a testimony of it can come and revelation can come and stuff like that. Um, I think that oftentimes a lot of the, the very intellectual people that read a lot and, and try to understand the intricacies of the gospel, they struggle to get to the point of just saying, you know what, I'm going to choose to believe that. I'm just going to choose to believe it for now until I can receive a testimony, and get that revelation for myself. 
Um, no, they want something to prove it, right? And it's like, that's that's not how this works. When it comes down to it, um, a lot of times it's just a decision to believe first. But But here's the thing. That's no different than anything else in our lives. Yeah. I mean, I'm teaching Isaac and he's doing a larger, no, a larger, they're almost like, it's like the beginning of algebra where yeah. he's been given one, one set of numbers and then you have to find the missing one that equals this number. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of just counting things out, doing things. And it's like, son, you know, math, like adding works. And you remember how that was so strange and foreign to you. And now you understand it and you can add apples and bananas and things all day long. Well, this is the same thing. It's just a little bit different. Now you're asking yourself, what do I need to add here to get that over there? And, and as his mind, you know, in not knowing his initial stress level is pretty high. He wants to give up. You know, he, he, he doesn't like being wrong and you're sitting over here with greater knowledge saying you're getting there, you're on the path and we're doing homework and you're doing mistakes and that's okay. That's how you understand these principles. And I kind of feel sometimes our heavenly father is like that with us, you know, he's giving us certain principles and we get so caught up in, yeah, but what about, you know, how do I use the force? to to you know shoot lightning and you're thinking that's not even no you need to just how do you be nice to others start there build on that and if that's true the next thing will follow and so on and so forth yeah there are mysteries of math and there are mysteries of you know taking care of your yard and there are mysteries of everything we want to try to do and little by little if we do pay attention and we're diligent and do some of these things like uh, Benjamin says, hearken, which is to listen, right? Listen with the intent of obeying, obeying and uh, and open your ears and your hearts and your minds and say, okay, well, I'm here to learn. I'm here to try to receive this and I'm going to go, I'm going to go look for it. I'm going to go find. And it's not that we're searching for clues to a mystery. It's just that we need to be intentional about that really and, uh, and, and make the attempt. Hearken, listen. <laughs> Pay attention, work at it a little bit, do something, and those, and you know, another couple of years, those simple algebra problems will be no longer mysterious, right? They'll be, oh, right. oh yeah, this was this was easy. Uh, in that same verse that Daniel mentioned a minute ago, verse nine, um, that uh, right at the end of verse nine, where it says the mysteries may be unfolded, that's a word we've heard a little bit lately about the continual unfolding of the restoration, right? And uh, uh, what a great image of things being unfolded to our view as we go on. And, and you just know that this unfolding will continue to happen, you know, as long as we're hearkening and searching and hearing and opening our hearts and our minds, that unfolding will continue to happen. There will be things that we'll discover, things that we'll realize that were always there, of course, but we weren't up to the task or we weren't diligent enough or it wasn't the right moment. For the Lord to reveal things to us, and as as but as we keep at it, we'll continue to unfold those things to our view, like it says in that in that verse. That, I really, really that I reminds I, me a little bit of in conference. I I think it was Elder Hall, and he mentioned something along the lines of, uh, "Just as we progress in this life, I anticipate we'll continue to progress in the next life." Yeah, and continue, and that's not a new thing. Like we've heard that a lot, but we, we, we have a tendency that whenever change is presented to us, we, we either, we are, we, we shy away from it saying, well, I thought we had the fullness of the gospel already. I thought we had everything. And it's like, no, it's going to continue. And then even when, and even in the next life, we're going to continue to, there's going to be more. I mean, the article of faith says that we believe that God will yet reveal many great and important things. And so that's that's not just in the 18, whatever that was, 1840s. You guys might know exactly when <laughs> Joseph Smith wrote that letter but, and the articles of faith. But to this day, right, uh, he's not finished. And he's it's a 
I mean, that's a principle, a concept that we're working with all the time is eternity. It's interesting, though, that in verse 9, he says, For I have not commanded you to come up hither to trifle with the words which I shall speak. Oh, I love, love, love that. <laughs> to trifle with it. It's like, listen, <laughs> I didn't tell you to come up here just to hear me and mess around with what I'm saying or try and turn my words or, or even just to regard it in a flippant it's like, way. It's like, if hearkening is listening with the intent to obey, trifling seems like listening so you don't get in trouble by your mom and then <laughs> you're thinking about something else type of thing. You know what I mean? Or even, or even <laughs> listening with the intent to manipulate. Right. Well, because it, I think sometimes there are also people who like to listen to conference like I'll, I'll follow the hashtag LDS conf on, on Twitter during conference. And you see people that are just posting quote after quote after quote for those who can't watch. And then there's this group of people who are grabbing onto something out of context and saying, look at what the church is saying. Yeah. You know, they're saying this and this and that. And can you believe these people? And it's like, you're, you're trifling with the words. Give us the whole message, right? Be fair to the message. What is actually being said? What is King Benjamin actually saying? Because later on, you know, you could take some stuff out of context down here in his speech where he's talking about guilt and pain and anguish and unquenchable fire and this and that, and you could make it sound pretty bad. How about your right? unprofitable servants? No matter <laughs> what, you're an later on, you're less than the dust of the earth, right? Yeah, there you, <laughs> go. you could really mess with what he's saying if you took just a sound bite. And he's basically saying, look, I don't, I'm not saying this stuff for you guys to mess with what I'm saying. Here's my message. I want you to hearken to everything I'm saying. Yes, I will at some point say that no matter what you do, you can never make up for the atonement. You can never equal what the Savior has done for you, no matter how good you are. But what does that really mean? How do, okay, so are we just helpless then? It's, there's nothing we can do. No, you show gratitude and you share that message with others. That's how you make up. That's how you contribute to what the Savior did. You show gratitude, you are obedient, and you share the message with others, right? Similar to what the Savior said in the New Testament, when he says, those who have ears to hear, let them hear, you know? It's kind of the same kind of message that, listen with real intent. This is why I so admire this uh, Benjamin as a, as a leader, because he knows exactly who he is, and he knows exactly what his job is. And, and it's not, even though he kind of talks a lot about himself, it's not about him. It's about how to live, and, he, and, and it's how to go on with, with our lives, right? I didn't bring you here to waste your time. Or I didn't bring you here to just listen to me, because I have to just talk. Or... or uh, you know, I didn't have the tower built just because I wanted a tower, right? <laughs> yeah. Purpose. I didn't have you come and pitch your tents facing the temple just because it might rain. You know, or it'd make a good picture for Facebook. There you go. <laughs> oh yeah, somebody get somebody engraved the <laughs> stone somewhere because. <laughs> and I wanted. I did want to point out. Sorry, this might be a little bit much, but I wanted to point. In, in chapter 2, verses uh, 5 and 6, where it talks about everybody pitching their tent with their family. Uh, and it said that every family was separate one from another. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that reading that word in the era of COVID-19, right? That every family <laughs> one from another. And that, uh, and then in verse 6, you know, we, we've heard a lot about pitching your tent with your door facing the temple and, you know, the, how that can be a metaphor for you know what where are we looking when we uh when we get together and to whom are we listening but also that they might remain in their tents <laughs> so there's never uh, one another and they were remaining in their tents they had a little bit of a i mean there was something of a you know stay in your tent stay safe <laughs> well yeah i mean why why were they divided by family my only my only thought is 
this is essentially the first inkling we get of a home-centered church-supported system. Yeah. Where it's like, here's the church. He's the king, but he's also representing the gospel. He's talking about the gospel. And he's teaching everyone, but it wasn't just like, hey, everyone just come and show up. He wanted them separated by family in their own tents. And I imagine this went on for quite a while, didn't it? I don't. Does it say how long his speech went? I I think it'd be days if you're having things written and sent forth. It's gonna take time. So imagine he gets up there in the morning. Maybe maybe there's sessions, right? Almost like general conference, where he speaks and then they kind of break and they have lunch and things are distributed throughout the group of people, and then he speaks again and then there's opportunities for those families to gather together in their tent and discuss what they've just heard from their king and to talk about it and for a father and a mother to say, okay, kids, what did we learn? You remember when he was talking about serving one another? Remember when he was talking about how we need to, when you're in the service of your fellow man, you know, you're, who are we actually serving? There's this opportunity for them to kind of teach each other as a family that they wouldn't have if it was just a giant mass of people, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's really important. I think when we look at the not, the the newness of the Come Follow Me program and the Home Center Church Supported, it's really not that new. Um, it's really what we should have been doing all along. Just now they're saying, here's how to do it. Here's, we're going to make this initiative uh, a little bit more concrete, right? I think about um, going back to, to Wards of Mormon, this was something that I didn't, I, I never, it never stuck out to me as much as it did this go around reading the Book of Mormon. But at the end of Wards of Mormon, just in the last four verses, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, um, it talks about King Benjamin, how he, they had wars and he did gather the Nephites and he did contend with them. And he, there were many false Christs and their mouth were shuts and false prophets. And there were dissensions. And then it says, but behold, it came to pass that King Benjamin with the assistance of holy prophets who were among his people. For behold, King Benjamin was a holy man and he did reign over his people in righteousness. And there were many holy men in the land and they did speak with the word of God with power and authority. And they did use much sharpness because of the stiffness of the people. Wherefore, with the help of these King Benjamin, by laboring with all his might, his body, and the faculty of his whole soul, and also the prophets, did once establish peace in the land. And that is really amazing because if you truly want to help someone, whether it's a neighbor, a friend, a family member, King Benjamin's example is he was there, you know, and maybe in these scenarios to them, it wasn't, oh, when, when their basement flooded, you know, ministering companion was there, when, when they ran out of toilet paper, when they were having a hard day at work and they needed somebody to talk to. And after all of these temporal, immediate things that are very important were taken care of, then he's writing them at the end of his life saying, let me tell you what's really important. Let me tell you. It's almost like you need to be friends with someone first. You need to have a relationship of trust. And then they're susceptible to change their heart, to share the gospel. I think that's a, that's, yeah, that's chapter two, right? I, I've been there, right there with you. I didn't come here to brag about myself. I love that verse where he says, I didn't come to talk about myself. I didn't come to boast. Yeah. I also didn't come to accuse you. Or I didn't <laughs> see and I with, didn't see gold or silver. Yeah. I haven't I haven't tried to make myself rich. I haven't tax, overtaxed you. I haven't I've, I've done everything I could to serve you because what? Because when you're in the service of your fellow beings, right? You're in the service of God. I, I like the front half of that verse, verse 17. I'm telling you all this so that you can learn wisdom. Right? Even then. It's not about, he's talked about himself and he's talked about how he's tried to do things. 
And he said, but I haven't done this for me. And I haven't gained any, you know, any glory necessarily from this. Even though here we are, we, we have great admiration and respect for Benjamin, but that's not what he's doing. He's not, he's not doing that. He wants to serve God. And, uh, and he said, this is wisdom. This is wisdom. Don't be self-centered. Don't be selfish. Don't try to look out for yourself. Don't take advantage of your position. Don't take advantage of, you know, other people who you could command and, and will do things for you. Serve. Serve. If you want to serve God, and if you think that's something worth doing, then serve other people. I think a lot of times <laughs> the prophets are, are telling us things that they have received revelation that we need help with understanding. And maybe it's areas of improvement. Maybe he's looking around and he's seeing people that are doing things just so that they can somehow get benefit or praise or recognition for it. And he's saying, no, if you really, really, truly want to be righteous, if you really want to follow what God wants you to do, serve willingly and serve freely and just serve each other. Or maybe people are being very selfish and they're saying, I don't, I can't go help because I need to look after my own. And he's saying, you know what? I am your king. I have no moral obligation as a king to go and work with you and serve you. Right. And yet I have. And that's not because I'm so amazing. It's just because I'm trying to do what God wants us to do. And if we all do that, then we'll be a lot better off. And I think maybe, I don't know, it's, if it's his last address, he might be using that because he's, he's feeling that people aren't doing that. And he's saying, you know, I'm bringing this up because this is a real problem. There, nobody's serving each other or we need to do more of it, you know, just a thought. You're right. I think he, you know, they've experienced peace in their land. They know what they've had to go through. He knows what they've had to go through to get to that point where they're enjoying peace. But he also knows people and his human nature, right? And now here I am. I'm, I'm old. I'm going to die. Mosiah's great and he'll be a wonderful king but I know what people are like too. And so here's a little something for you all uh, <laughs> out as, as life goes on. And I think there might be reason to, to believe um, what you're saying there, Dan, because uh, when he goes into the part about if you do everything you can day by day, you know, God is supporting you and sustaining your every breath you take, right? No matter what you'll do, no matter what you do, you still have more blessing than you can ever you know, produce good. Uh, so, you know, that doesn't mean don't produce good. It just means recognize that. If you're thanking me for being a good king, right? Thank your heavenly king. There's just, there's so much in here. <laughs> um, but one thing that, that I, th I found interesting is at the end where it says um, in verse 40 on chapter 2, where he invites all ye old men, all ye young men, all ye little, little children who can understand my words, for I have spoken plainly unto you that you might understand. I pray that you should awake and remember the awful situation of those who have fallen into transgression. And then that sounds negative, but then he follows it up with, and moreover, I would desire that you should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. For they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual. And if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven, that thereby they may dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. All remember, remember that these things are true, for the Lord God has spoken. And it's just, I love simple things. I love when the scriptures call out simple things. Um, and... And that's the story here. That's basically the Book of Mormon is saying, if you keep the commandments, you'll be blessed. The whole back end of that chapter is him basically saying, you're in charge of, your, of the outcome here. If you, now that you know all of this, if you openly rebel against it, if you deny all of this, you're going to have a, a sad life. This is the, it's that simple. You're going to have pain and anguish and sorrow and unquenchable fire, which, you know, isn't literal, but he's basically meaning that that frustration you feel of having 
given up what you could have had, that's a pretty unquenchable fire. But he's saying, on the contrary, if you're repentant and you hearken unto what I've said, you'll be in a blessed and happy state. And it's that simple. It's not overly complicated. Do what the, the things I'm saying. Serve one another. Think about the betterment of, of your brother. And follow the commandments of Jesus Christ, and you'll be, you'll be happy. Don't, and you're going to be in pain. Because <laughs> I... It's a very common sentiment among individuals when they they join the church and they say things like, it filled a hole I didn't even know I had, type of thing. And for me, a lot of the commandments, I didn't know how happy I could be being obedient until I was obedient. Like, and that's so hard to explain. And it, and and to explain to people, it's like there are certain things we excel really well at and like projecting our our consciousness and, and, and anticipating threats and building up anxiety and, and learning from others' mistakes and all those things. But there is just something totally different about when you yourself are obedient, you will feel something that's totally different that no one can explain to you until you do it. You know what I mean? Well, it's like a child, like when kids are really picky with their food and <laughs> they only eat like three things and they don't know <laughs> what they're missing. And you're like, no, you got to try this. This is so good. And they're like, I don't like that. It's yucky. You know, and you're like, no, it's not yucky. It's delicious. And it's going to be, it's going to change your life. And then the day that they finally do, um, like let's say i don't know your dad pays you a dollar to try popcorn chicken for the first time or popcorn shrimp that's what it was and so you try popcorn shrimp and you're like this has changed my life you know that's a silly example but really that's kind of what what he's talking about is a lot of the times with the gospel those who don't have it or aren't living it or even those of us who are trying you know if we're not giving it a hundred percent we we it's hard to explain how the blessings could be it's hard to explain how good your life can be or even the promises of exaltation it's hard for the lord to explain how great that will be he uses all kinds of superlatives all kinds of descriptors about what exaltation will be like that i don't think language is adequate to to comprehend right what it will be like but he's just like look it's going to be amazing you know and it's going to change your entire outlook on existence but we're just all we understand is what we've experienced so far and so going and taking another step to try something completely different or to like you said um when you when you take on the gospel and you say i'm going to live this the best i can you start to really realize wow my life was planned you know and now it has a lot more flavor and it has a lot more um, happiness involved in it. That kind of leads to the next section, which is Mosiah 319, for the natural man is the enemy of God, right? Yeah. And I just want to ex- share this, this really good quote that's in the manual by Elder Bednar, mm. when it, where he says, it is the atonement of Jesus Christ that provides both a cleansing and a redeeming power that helps us to overcome sin and a sanctifying and strengthening power that helps us to become better than we ever could by relying upon our own strength. The infinite atonement is for both the sinner and for the saint in each of us. That's interesting because we always think of the atonement being for the sinner. And it is, but it's for the saint in each of us as well. And I don't think we ever give ourselves the credit for what we've done and the good things that we do. And the fact that that also is impacted by the atonement. I really liked that, that quote from elder Bednar too. Uh, the, I can't remember now it was cleansing and redeeming and then sanctifying. And I can't remember what the fourth thing strengthening. Um, yeah, there's kind of, there, there are two different operations there going on, right? There's the, the cleansing that has to be 
well, they're all, they all have to be ongoing, but they have, we have to, we have to participate consciously in that part of it by our intentionality again, to try to, to get rid of what's wrong so that we can partake a little bit more of what's good and, and, and really beyond our power to, we can't sanctify ourselves, right? Only God can sanctify us, but we can participate in our, in our cleansing simply by our intentions and our, our will and our desire to do better. We can't do the actual cleansing. We don't have that power, but we can participate in it. And the sanctifying part is, is going to come, going to come from him. And, uh, that's the sort of their, you know, the, the, state of the blessed and happy state of those who keep the commandments of God is those people who are working on keeping themselves as, in as good a position as they possibly can and then the promises God's promises to us if we if we just try our best that's all we can do right and he said later on the the whole uh later on or it was before that actually that or was it later on but anyway, all he asks of us is that we keep his commandments, right? I can't remember what verse that's in. That's in chapter 2, verse 22. All he requires of you is to keep his commandments, right? That's what he wants you to do. And so when he when he's when he's uh, talking about that part, and I, this is why I also think that he understands his people and he understands people in general, <clears throat> because he lays out some warnings there, right? If you list to obey the evil spirit, he uses that word a lot, you know, so if you... <laughs> If you tend toward listening, or I don't want to use the word listening because list is not listening, but if you tend toward the evil spirit, or if you tend to pay attention to that, or if you tend to, you know, be influenced by that thing, watch. If you lean in that direction, yeah, yeah, then then you need to you need to get yourself back get yourselves back on track because that is going to lead to misery. And which is the contrary to verse 41 in chapter 2, which is, if I guess I could frame one verse from the Book of Mormon, (laughs) that would be it. I'm glad I'm not forced to, because there are other good ones. (laughs) There's, um, I'm going to jump ahead, just one chapter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To chapter 4. Right. Because I can't help myself. No, I'm I'm sorry, you, I'm sorry, no. (laughs) No, no, you can edit it out. (laughs) But it's happening. Chapter 4, verse 11 is my favorite scripture. And it, you know, there's there's one prior, number 6, where he first kind of speaks about it. When you have come to the knowledge of the goodness of God. But in 11, he kind of goes back to that same thing. And he says, and again, I say unto you, as I have said before, that you must have come to the knowledge of the glory of God. Or if ye have known of his goodness and have tasted of his love and have received a remission of your sins, which causes such great, exceedingly great joy in your soul, even so I would that ye should remember and always retain in remembrance the greatness of God in your own nothingness and his goodness and long suffering towards you, unworthy creatures, and humble yourself even in the depths of humility, calling on the name of the Lord daily and standing steadfastly in the faith of that which is to come, which has been spoken by the mouth of the angel. For me, every time I read this scripture, I get this overwhelming sense that when I have really come to know Christ, I won't be so worried about what someone else is doing. I will just be so happy that he's willing to forgive me that I, that to me, the religion no longer becomes an exclusive club, you know, that I'm not worried about, oh, but so-and-so gets to drink tea, but so-and-so gets to uh, go out skiing on Sundays, but so, you know, it's more when you have come to know why you need Jesus Christ, why you yourself need him, you will feel such great joy just to be counted one of his sheep, just to be one, just to be in the club, just it's, and it reminds me a lot of like President Holland when he says, if I could have the smallest hut in heaven, but have it there with my family, I, I would be happy, right? And, um, and then the whole, it keeps going, but I don't want to go too far ahead. But I, that just kind of reminds me of the, 
of 319 where he talks to the natural man as an enemy of God. And, and it's talking, you put these things away. You know, you have to put put away your 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 pride, put strip yourself away of your ego. And you can come to know him. And then when you come to know him, you will be so happy, you will be so grateful that everything else is gonna look different. You'll be able to look at people with charity and not with judgment, you know, type of thing. The best part of that about verse 19 for me is the acknowledgement that it's the natural man. This is everyone. Yeah. It's it's everyone's tendency to to be a little bit lazy, to be a little bit slothful, you know, to not want to give your best all the time. That that's to be expected that you tend in that direction. That it's kind of like, yeah, you know, you're, you the, to maintain the perfect level of obedience and dedication and service 24-7 is not natural. Mm. And that's exactly why we should be doing it. That's exactly why should we, we should be striving for it. Because natural is just whatever comes without effort, right? And that's not how we're meant to live. We're not meant to live in a way that requires no effort or that requires no sacrifice or no dedication. We're meant to live in a way that requires us to be thoughtful and to be mindful about everything that we're doing. And it, that's not natural. And that's okay. That's a good thing, right? If we're talking about you know, food, maybe that's a different story. You want natural food. But you're talking about you, how you are. You need, to be, you need to provide the additives to your spirit, right? You need to be more than just whatever came from your normal behavior. I also think it's really good that he points out that we need to become like a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things, which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him. A child is also natural, but then there's something that happens in everyone where we go from being a child to starting to get a little bit more mischievous to starting to see what we can get away with. to starting to see what, you know, what people will allow us to do. And he's saying, no, go back to the innocence, the pureness of a child. And, you know, doctrinally speaking, back in, I think it's verse 16, he kind of speaks about how children are, are not subject to sin because they don't understand it. They're so meek and so humble and so pure that they, they're not full of sin. When they do something wrong, they don't understand that it's wrong. We, it, and you see that in little children. They, they do something and they think, oh, this is fine. And we tell them, no, that's not okay. And we correct them and we teach them the right way to do things. But it, those, those kind of things kind of, in my mind, go hand in hand, where he's saying, be like that. Be like a little child that's humble and submissive and is willing to learn what's right and then do it. Right? Make yourself humble enough to learn and not say, oh, I already know. You don't need to tell me right? Or leave me alone. I'm fine. Be humble enough to learn and then live in a way that is beyond just what your first knee-jerk reaction to everything. Be a little bit unnaturally good. Well, those, uh, verse 19, you know, the, 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 the idea of becoming like a child, the counsel or commandment, I guess, to become like a child those things are all the language in there is saying uh don't be natural right like don't be the natural man uh the verse before it says believe you know what's the most natural response to something you hear eh, i need to check that out i'm not quite sure that that's you know that that's exactly right it says yield to the enticings of the holy spirit how natural is it for most people to just yield right and i'm not talking about the spirit specifically but in general you don't you just don't give in so easily to everything you hear you put off the natural man those are actions right you have to put off the natural man this has to be conscious and and intentional and and meaningful and you have to do it you have tried to become a saint well isn't the most natural thing to say well i'm no saint but right well yeah. guess what yeah. 
<laughs> you know, you get you have to try to become a saint through the atonement of Christ Lord. That just means faith and repentance, baptism, uh, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and keep trying, right? Keep enduring. All those qualities of a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, those are the things that in just normal life and in conversation, those are the things that we least kind of want to be, right? I'm not just going to give in to that. I'm not going to be so submissive. <laughs> meek is, you know, Elder Bednar's talk, given that latest talk about meekness, which was fantastic as far as I'm concerned. It's not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. And uh, being patient is not like, I mean, it's great, but, you know, great aunt Sally was patient. You know, I'm not. I'm <laughs> a person. I'm, you know, uh, it's just very, it, it runs so counter to kind of what we feel like we need to be that uh, there's the challenge, right? There's the challenge is to put that off and to understand that, you know, if I'm going to be humble, it doesn't mean that I have to be humiliated. And if I'm going to be meek, it doesn't mean that I'm going to be walked on. And if I'm going to be submissive, I have to learn what to submit to. Right. That's part of the that's part of the thing, too. I can't just be cowering in a corner and whatever anybody says must be right or I must always be wrong. Submit to all things which the Lord seeth. But it's it's to great. I love that contrast between who we naturally are, and what the things that we naturally do, and then what this these verses ask us to do. And then in verse twenty one, it says, "And behold, when the time, that time cometh, none shall be found blameless before God, except to be little children, only through repentance and faith on the name of the Lord God omnipotent." So it's kind of like, even though we put off the natural man and we try our best, nobody's going to be found blameless except those that are trying to be repentant and that are um, seeking the blessings of the atonement through the Lord God omnipotent. Basically saying, it doesn't matter if you can justify your natural behavior you can say, well, I mean, what else would I do? Of course I got mad when he yelled at me, you know? Or, of course, the guy cut me off and I yelled at him and cussed at him and whatever. That's the natural response. You need to know how to proportionally respond to things correctly, you know? And the way to do that is by having the Holy Ghost with you. Because the Holy Ghost is the same one that told Nephi, cut that guy's head off that told Helaman don't allow these people to be killed you know but he's also the same one that says turn the other cheek that that's not gonna matter you know and 90 percent of time like we we kind of invert things we think 90 percent of the time we need to be combative forceful and and don't you let anyone take advantage of you and 10% of the time, you need to be nice that one Sunday you're at church, right? And it's the other way around. You need to be 99% of the time, you need to be nice and thoughtful and just let things go. And maybe it's that 10% that you need to, you need to, you know, go, go, go bang some heads together or something, you know? But, but we operate so differently because our natural inclination is to feel like if someone else succeeds, it has to be at our expense sense or if someone else uh says something bad to us if we don't defend it then it must be true you know or or our pride is damaged or hurt yeah we can reprove we can reprove with sharpness right scriptures tell that too but when like all the time is that how we go (laughs) reproving everybody with sharpness telling everybody off telling everybody how wrong they are uh, all of that, no, when moved upon by the Holy Ghost, right? So I, I totally agree with what Feely just said. Like we need to understand when that is that we need to, uh, you know, act. As, I don't know what's the word. I don't want to say that we shouldn't be assertive. We shouldn't be because we should. We should speak, you know, say what we think and say how we feel and and be who we are. But, but I think it's without guile. We need to communicate without guile. 
yeah. you know, without an alternate motive, without digging a pit for our neighbor. You know, you set up a scenario so you know they're going to be in the wrong. Right. You know, that's the same thing when you've dug a pit for your neighbor. I was just thinking that, you know, in, in, in chapter one, he says, when he says, I'm going to give a big speech, uh, I'm going to give my people a name. And then in this chapter where he lays out everything that's known from all the prophecies about the Savior uh, from the Old Testament, from our Old Testament. And, uh, and then he, he says, there is no other name given, nor other way, nor means whereby salvation can come unto the children of men only in and through the name of Christ, O Lord Omnipotent. So really he's, he's arrived at the whole entire point of this um, final address. Here's the name that I was going to give you. He shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and of earth. And he's the only, his name is the one that's going to, that's going to save us. Salvation is going to come through him. So, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's great. I don't mind chapter four and chapter five either, but stopping at chapter <laughs> three is outstanding because he's really gotten to his, uh, you know, his main point that he wanted to make and leave no doubt in anybody's mind. It's interesting that that there's almost a pattern to all these great discourses. They almost always start with, I have to tell you yeah. these things. I have no option. I have to. Even, you know, with Jacob, he was saying, you know, I it breaks my heart to tell you some of these things because they're going to be a little uncomfortable, but here I go. But then I like how he ends at the end of chapter 3 with verse 23 and 24, where he says, And now I have spoken these words, which the Lord God hath commanded me. And thus saith the Lord, they shall stand as a bright testimony against his people. And that includes us, because we have his words. At the judgment day, therefore, they shall be judged, every man according to his works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And then he's kind of saying, now the accountability is on you. You know, it's no longer on me. I've told you, I've done everything. I've lived a whole life giving you my example. And now it's on you to to do something about it. And if you don't do something about it, let me, you know, read the rest couple verses and you'll, if that doesn't motivate you to want to do something about it. <laughs> but it, it's also not just to remove blame from him because it's also by saying, this is all stuff you have to know. You need to know this for your own salvation, for your own good, so that you're not caught up in a situation where you are living a diminished life because you don't know the fullness, right, that you could have. You don't know what Christ has done for you. This is what he's done for you. And now this is how you should respond in order to be happy. And you need to know this. Righteous correction is a sign of love. Where... You know, every child loves climbing on whatever, and they don't understand, well, you climb on that, you might slip and bang and crack your head open. So no, you're not going to develop bad habits until, you know, and, and it's kind of like that. It's a, a loving parent stops bad habits from happening, even at the time that the child may think, oh, you're just taking away my freedom. No, but you're, you're, there's a cliff right there. You're going to hold our hand while we walk this trail. Okay, when we're out in the meadow, we let you go. You can run around all you want. But right here where there's this cliff, there's this very specific thing. And there is a big cliff here where it's if you continue to be prideful and to react to your natural instincts, you will not feel any of what you should be feeling. You won't be doing what you should be doing and you won't retain a remission of your sins and you will turn away from God and be unhappy. But if you set your heart right correctly by yielding to the enticing of the Spirit, everything else will come to pass. You know, all the other good things will build upon your ability to be humble and listen to the Spirit. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find 
that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.